0: Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. This is Georgia Today. I'm Steve Fennessy. It's Friday, November 27, 2020. Coast Guard City of a cargo ship Golden Ray capsized with 23 persons on board in the vicinity of Saint Simon Sound. For more than a year, a massive cargo ship, longer than two football fields, has lain on its side just off the coast of Saint Simon's Island in Southeast Georgia. Crews recently resumed work to dismantle the giant vessel. Larry Hobbs has been following that Herculean task. He's a reporter at the Brunswick News. I talk with Larry about how the Golden Ray capsized in the first place. We also look back at the tense hours last year when rescuers worked to free trapped crew members and what hearings this fall revealed about what may have caused the disaster. Larry, for those of us who have not been to the Georgia coast in a while, what's different about the view of St. Simon Sound these days?
1: What's different is there is a 656-foot-long uh, roughly seventy-five thousand-ton ro-ro ship.
0: What's a row uh, ship?
1: A car carrier roll, cars roll on one place and they roll off at the next port. Uh, this one's called the Golden Ray, and um, it's dumped over, roughly half submerged at high tide. locals probably don't remember what the the view looked like without it because it is imposing it's like some kind of what is it megalith or something that just juts out of the water and it's uh
0: it's now part of the landscape well the seascape yes exactly let's talk a little bit about how it came to be there Take us back to September seventh. I know that the uh, the ship capsized there in the Sound uh, in the early morning hours of September eighth, but the ship first arrived. Everything was sort of business as usual, right, on September
1: seventh. Yes, it was. uh, It's it's probably important to go back to the whole whole thing, and uh, it began. It made two stops in Mexico, one in Freeport, Texas. That's where its new captain, uh, G. Hawk Lee, got on. Then it came to the port in Jacksonville, intentionally following behind Hurricane Dorian. Then it came to Brunswick.
0: So it was a a few days behind schedule because of the hurricane it was trying to tail?
1: Right. And uh, it unloaded something in the neighborhood of 280 cars and took on something in the neighborhood of 360 cars.
0: This is in Brunswick?
1: In Brunswick, yes. Okay. Brunswick is one of the leaders in the row-row industry, one of the leading ports in America.
0: Okay, and that and there was nothing unusual about that process. That seemed to work, go according to expectations.
1: Everyone from the stevedore foreman to the uh, the ship's owner to the captain of the ship to Captain Tennant, the harbor pilot, said everything was in fine working order and uh, was ready to to depart shortly after midnight on September eighth.
0: Larry, you mentioned Captain Jonathan Tennant, who wasn't a captain of the Golden Ray, but actually a Brunswick Harbor pilot. So, for those of us who don't know how it works when you're piloting these enormous ships in and out of a port, what is the job of a harbor pilot?
1: The harbor pilot uh, knows his or her port like no one else. Um, Their job is to know every nuance of the port of Brunswick. And this Tradition goes back, literally, it's as old as going to sea. Hmm. A person comes out, meets the ship at sea before it comes in, right where the channel begins. And they board the ship. Uh, they talk to the captain. The captain hands over. And the harbor pilot does just that. He pilots
0: the ship into the harbor. So piloting one of these these ships out of the harbor and in towards the sea requires a kind of a right turn, a starboard turn, that's relatively sharp but is completely normal and that's what Captain Tennant has done thousands of times. Yes. So what happens when he does it this time?
1: He goes into from a 10 degree turn into the t- standard 20 degree turn and that's when he fills it listing to starboard. Uh, significantly, So it's tipping. Right. He's piloted this journey thousands of times, but he testified nothing in his years ex- of experience prepared him for what happened on that dark morning night in September 8th. The vessel immediately took off to starboard, more so than I've ever experienced before in my career. Uh, so this explanation is this explanation's very long, but realize that this Took place in a few seconds.
0: So Captain Tennant is basically turning the wheel to starboard to the right side, and the and the ship starts to list to that side. So does he does he steer the opposite way to sort of correct for that that list?
1: So at one point he talks about going all the way to port, but at that point it was he, he says all was lost. Uh, I am still level. I'm still. Uh, I have no idea that I'm about to capsize at this point. Suddenly, uh, the the port side wall of the bridge becomes uh, the floor, and it's just chaos in there. Captain Tennant, the harbor pilot, he was trying to get it out of the channel and up onto the um, sand on the on the other side of it so that the ship wouldn't go completely underwater. And he was talking about, say he's like, this was no longer a, a piloting operation, this was a, a life-saving operation.
0: So, I'm just trying to imagine what it feels like to be on a ship that's that huge, carrying that much cargo, and it starts to list and starts to capsize and i'm trying to imagine how terrifying that must be for the people on board
1: yeah the people were terrified uh especially the four who were down by the engine room they get stuck there back to the bridge they are literally laying sideways and holding on to anything they can to keep from falling out of this thing which is now trumped over on the sandbar there
0: And then, of course, there's the 4,200 cars on there. And uh, I can imagine what a mess that looks like on board.
1: Right, it's, um, they have straps that keep them in place. Just, you know, those straps are not made to hold anything in place sideways. And most of those get up and they hear hear cars crashing. Wow. Falling inside there. Uh Apparently, Captain Tennant gets out some information on the on the ship's radio before all power is lost and um, he calls coast guard it goes to coast guard station charleston
0: coast guard city report of a cargo ship golden ray capsized with 23 persons on board
1: in the vicinity of st simon sound a coast guard helicopter arrives and You know, one of these guys who's who's trained to do this all their life does it. He rappels down there into the uh, the ship's bridge, uh, assesses the situation, and uh, he makes an assessment of it, uh, switches to a plan B, which is to take a fire hose and roll it down all the way through the starboard side, out the port side door. from survivor survivor just outside the cabin door. Okay, I'm going to bring it back up. Roger. Captain Tennant uh, climbs down that and into the water where he's picked up. The, the ship's captain, G-Hack Lee, does not want to leave. He says, I've got four people down in the engine room, and I do not want to leave without them. Finally, Coast Guard convinces him to leave by telling him, you're the only one that can help us when we start going after them. We're going to need you to tell us where to go.
0: So is this, is it still um, pre-dawn hours at this point, or has the sun come up? Most of this takes place in the dark. Okay. And, and meanwhile, there's four, you said there's four crew members who are down in the engine room, which I'm presuming is towards the bottom of the ship, right? The very bowels of the ship. They're trapped, right? How are they trapped?
1: They are trapped, and there is an escape hatch, and water is coming through the escape hatch.
0: So is the compartment filling with water? Yes. Does that stop at some point? Because presumably, if it kept it, it going, they, they would have drowned. The
1: reason it doesn't is because it's not in the, the deeper channel.
0: Okay. And so, so because it was grounded, as opposed to being in the middle of the channel, it came to rest before it could submerge to a point where it would have drowned those four crew members? Yes, sir. Wow. So, what is the, what's sort of the um, the protocol, or what's the procedure for trying to first identify where they are and then rescue them?
1: Um, it, it's old fashioned. It's like the uh, that movie, The Poseidon Adventure. Uh, they bang on. Uh, this is the next afternoon, September eighth. Coast Guard members, other members of the rescue team. Someone is banging with a hammer, and they get a you know a return bang. That's. Bang! 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 One person is alive. They're saying we can. We can say, we know one person is alive because we're getting that banging. We know we can save one person.
0: Okay. It's this is what September September eighth last year. That's still that's still the peak of summer in, in Southeast Georgia. So, Oh, yes. So is there any estimates about how hot it was getting inside that engine room? It
1: was brawling hot. I mean, the sun comes out, they're in there the whole day. They literally take, I guess, they take a welding torch and weld out a little hole in the hole. The hole's about two inches thick, I think they said. Um, when that drops out, they can feed water in there. They find out all four are alive. Okay. One behind a, a glass... Partition uh, in the engineering room, but all four are alive. Um, they use that to pump in fresh air, which was much needed at that point. Uh, once they once they have established this and they've gotten some water to them, they've gotten fresh air. They also find out that one way they're keeping cool. There's oil everywhere inside now. They're staying cool by literally going into little pools of oil that are inside the engine room now. Wow. That was concerning to rescuers because, you know, a single spark could take this uh, a different way. So, carefully, they decide to make a series of small holes until each hole meets, and that piece drops out that's large enough to pluck four men out of there.
0: Okay, so I want to make sure I understand this. So, they're using an arc welder, something that's throwing sparks— and and so could potentially ignite some of the oil that spilled inside that engine room. That must have been pretty nerve-wracking.
1: I, I can't imagine it was anything but. And that's yeah. essentially how they ended up getting these these four gentlemen out more than 36 hours later. Wow. Uh, the last one out was the man behind the partition. He came out about an hour after um, his three crewmates were down there.
0: The four crew members trapped inside a capsized cargo ship are safe thanks to heroic rescue efforts by the U.S. Coast Guard. This means all 24 people who were aboard the huge vessel when it capsized are now off that ship and alive. I think I read in one of your stories that like, like the most serious of the injuries was a few broken fingers, maybe.
1: A few broken fingers, I think one person was reported with it was a broken ankle. I think it was later uh,
0: like a fracture. The environmental impact of the shipwreck and the long road ahead to remove the Golden Ray from the waters of St. Simon Sound. That's ahead. This is Georgia Today.
1: At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind npr's throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed find npr's throughline wherever you get your podcasts
0: this is georgia today we're talking to larry hobbs a reporter for the brunswick news about the golden ray shipwreck one year later Finding out what caused a cargo ship to overturn in St. Simon's Sound. Today, the Coast Guard and National
1: Transportation Safety Board began a week long public hearing to find out. Last September.
0: And back in September, there was over a week of hearings to sort of figure out how all of this happened, right?
1: Their purpose was to find out why this happened and to take steps so that it does not happen again. They have stated throughout that they are not looking to place blame or impose penalties or anything like that. They want to find out why this happened and how it can be prevented in the future.
0: And over the course of these hearings, did an answer emerge as to why this happened?
1: An engineering expert from the Coast Guard, Ian Oviatt, basically assumed that uh, it was top-heavy and riding too high. It took on fifteen hundred tons of ballast in the Gulf of
0: Mexico in the form of salt water Had the vessel kept the additional ballast on board that was discharged during the Freeport to Jacksonville voyage, this would likely have prevented the capsize. Ballast is basically, if I'm understanding this correct, added weight that gives a ship sort of its center that keeps it stable in the water. And the ballast correct. can be can be they can be taking on water, in other words, to provide ballast, is that right?
1: Right. The ship was coming in, as we talked about Hurricane Dorian, or any uh, extreme weather they might encounter, they took on ballast. Somewhere after the time that the threat of Dorian was over, they released all of that ballast.
0: And just to be clear, that's the testimony from one expert, but isn't the final sort of determination by the Coast Guard or the NTSB about the cause. Is that right?
1: They have not made uh, a final ruling on what they thought caused it.
0: So when are we expecting a determination or a ruling from the NTSB and Coast Guard about what caused this?
1: Within the next few months. Okay. These take time. Right. Right.
0: So what happens to the Golden Ray now? What what have officials determined that they're gonna do with it?
1: Well, uh, Unified Command, which is the Coast Guard, the State Department of Natural Resources, and uh, Gallagher Marine Systems, um, make sure that the salvage follows all environmental protocols set forth by the Oil Pollution Act of 1990. In other words, they're they're there to make sure the owner of the ship complies with everything, does not leave a mess, um, does not destroy the environment, and pays for all damage.
0: And Gallagher Marine Systems is a regulatory compliance support agency that is hired as part of the salvaging group. So, okay, the owner of the ship, which is Hyundai Glovis, they're financially responsible for the cleanup, right? Right. So what are some of the steps that are being taken? Do they somehow remove the cars from the ship, or are they still on there?
1: Oh, they're still there. They're, they're not going anywhere. There were some things that they considered that they could do uh, that just it was later determined um, we're not going to work for this. Um, okay. One of them was like trying to, you know, hook up some chains to a tug and, and pull it off of there. But it's just, it was so inundated. Uh, all of its cargo was down, you know, most of it was on the port side waiting it down there. It was, it was not coming out.
0: I see. It was stuck. And there was no, there's no unstucking it. No. Okay, so the ship's owner has come up with a plan to cut the ship up into pieces. Eight pieces. Eight pieces. And uh, the Unified Command has approved that plan? They have. And the work to cut up the vessel continues. Larry, I understand that to cut it up, responders will have to use this enormous piece of lifting machinery that's uh, got this great name, the VB-10,000. What is the VB-10,000 and how does it work?
1: The VB-10,000 looks like something out of War of the Worlds. Uh, It is um, 155 feet high. That's higher than the roadway on the Sydney Lanier Bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's for lifting and it's going to be for cutting. Now it's, it's made to
0: dismantle
1: old oil wells in the Gulf.
0: Uh, okay. So it's, is it sort of like a, partly like a waterborne crane?
1: It is, but it's exactly what it is. Okay. Uh, they're going to cut this with anchor chains attached to powerful winches. As uh, Coast Guard Commander Norm Witt has told me, it's, it's more like tearing. They're going to tear these pieces through the ship, just the sheer force.
0: So the cutting of it is not done by, like, a a massive welder. It's done by the chains themselves?
1: Yes, they're going to be attached to this BB-10,000.
0: Here we are over a year since the incident. Why has it taken so long To begin to cut the thing up and get rid of it. Why why is it still there?
1: Nobody's ever done this to this degree. They did a similar thing uh, with the Roro ship off of the English Channel. Um, But it was pretty much out in open waters. This is, I mean, this thing is plopped down between two resort islands in a very fragile and important ecosystem.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that ecosystem because uh, I recall that in the days and weeks after the Golden Ray capsize that there were a lot of environmentalists really concerned about fuel, uh, oil spill basically, coming from the ship. So how much environmental damage was done as a result of this?
1: It looked pretty bad. Um, starting, I think, September 10 and September 11, there were two oil spills. Like you could see the, the, a black line looked almost like a magic marker had drawn it. At the high tide mark, when the tides receded, that was all. That was Fishing guides were complaining and showing that it was on the hulls of their boats when they went out. It was just a mess, but Coast Guard, DNR, they, had, they put booms out which absorbed the oil uh, that is meant to catch uh, oil that comes to the surface.
0: Have they drained the ship of the fuel that remained in there that wasn't spilled out?
1: Some of the tanks they simply could not reach. Okay. But they several months it took and began almost immediately after the, the Golden Ray capsized, they began pumping uh, the oil out of there.
0: It's, so it's not like that ship has just been sitting there for a year and no one's done anything. They've been, they've been working on it. They've been trying to uh, relieve it of the fuel. So when they do cut it up, it's not going to be spilling all over St. Simon Sound. Yes.
1: Uh, we haven't even talked about the environmental protection barrier, which took them four months to build. What's that? Uh, this is a massive piece of engineering. It is 80 poles set in pairs all the way around the shipwreck to uh, support a netting made of very sturdy material that's essentially meant to catch, uh, I don't know, a Kia Telluride uh, that might be rolling in the tide. Uh, anything that, that shakes when they start this cutting process. Wow. It's going to be loud.
0: What's been sort of the response of locals to this accident?
1: It's actually, you know what? It's become a, it's just become a part of the, part of the area. People are really excited, waiting for when they're going to get down to this work. You know, we know each other here. It's a small town, small community. I work for a small paper. I, I know a lot of these people. Everybody has questions uh, that they want answered, but mostly I think people want to see the golden ray out of here. That's not a fixture we want to see laying around here anymore.
0: Our thanks to Larry Hobbs, a reporter for the Brunswick News. Last week, St. Simon's Unified Command announced that work to cut up the Golden Ray had resumed. It had been put on hold because of Tropical Storm Eta. John Maddox is the on-scene coordinator with Georgia Department of Natural Resources. In a statement, he says... Additional equipment has been installed to reduce environmental threats as the vessel continues to be broken up. I'm Steve Fennessy. This is Georgia Today, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. You can subscribe to our show at gpb.org slash georgiatoday or anywhere you get podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Our producers are Sean Powers and Priya Mahadevan. Our intern is Eva Rothenberg. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.